0: Episode 126 in the Actors Room, Sidney Poitier Part 2, Coming at Ya. Here we go. The Actors Room will continue discussing the life and times of one of the greatest actors to ever walk on the face of the planet. His name was Sidney Poitier and he passed away not that long ago. Now there was a big break between part one of this series and part two. Sorry about that. Had a lot going on. The show... It's going to keep going. For how long, I don't know. I missed it. But I had to take a break. I would love for this show. To pay tribute to a lot more. Great artists. And Mr. Poitier. Oh, I'm sorry. Sir Poitier. Is one of those artists. And though I did have a bit of a break. In talking about Sydney. I want to continue talking about him. I I have to finish what I started. And uh, those of you who haven't jumped off the actor's room ship. Thank you for sticking with me. As we continue. Talking about this man. Before I get back into his career. His wonderful, glorious, marvelous acting stage film career. I want to touch on the man and what he had to go through in his life, both on the stage, in front of the camera, and off of it. He got jobs and work in the middle of the 50s. And a black man during this time couldn't rely on acting to be his full-time job. Hell, there are... Any race of people today that cannot rely on acting as their full-time job. Simply put, acting or any career in the arts isn't very stable. It, It isn't stable for people that have made it big either. Hopefully they've made a lot of money and save it. Because the next role, the next big paycheck... Is never guaranteed. And Sidney had to go through that. In the 50's. Plus he was black. He had a deal. With white people. He had a deal. Look not just white people. But anybody. That would discriminate against him. No matter what race. It was. But let's be honest. Mostly white people. At that time. We're running Hollywood, we're running Broadway, and so on. Sidney had to do his best, and oh boy, did he do his best to stay calm, to let things slide off of his back, because he had to. He had to swallow all of the insults, the snide comments directed towards him on a daily basis basis just because of the color of his skin. Now this stuff still goes on today but it was much worse back then. There were times Sydney had to make choices in his life to stay sane and he would have to make decisions in order to Keep his art going. Because if he didn't stay calm. If he reacted. Irrationally. His career would have been over. Before it even started. He had to be. The man. He had to. Know when to say something. And when not to. Sidney was a very smart man. Very smart. He knew how to play the game. And you actors out there who are working today, or not, know that there is a game to be played. And Sydney back in the 1950s, had to toe the line, play the game in order to keep working. There just wasn't many jobs for black actors. In the 1950s, Sydney Poitier couldn't walk into a restaurant freely and get seated. He had to worry that he may not be welcome there. And if he could eat there. I hear that some black men and women had to be screened off in the restaurant. So the white customers wouldn't have to see them. This is the kind of bullshit. That Sidney and other black men and women in America had to go through. Wasn't that long ago, folks. And just to think about that. And how Sydney and others had to deal with that. It almost blows my mind. But that was reality. And that was reality for Sydney. He wouldn't let it get to him, though. It could very easily get to most people. And I know for a fact that would get to me. I wouldn't have lasted very long back then. As a black man in America. I don't think so. <laughs> Especially right now in my age. At the tender age of 45. I, I just don't put up. With bullshit anymore. This podcast. Would have been completely different. Say 20 years ago. When I was in my 20's. I was a completely different person. You wouldn't even recognize. Uh, the way I talk now. As opposed to the way I talked. 20 years ago. I was meek. I was I was told a line, guy. Sydney knew that if he strayed <laughs> and spoke up and let things get to him, he would have never survived the game. What made Sydney so great, besides being just a terrific human being, calm as he was, picking the fights the right way. Never losing his cool. But he would get roles. And as a black man. That was succeeding. That was getting. Those very few roles for black men. And then. Continuing to get other work. I mean. Just getting one job. Was. Amazing. But then to continue to get Work on stage and then working as an actor in films. Having paychecks that were almost impossible for a black man to have at that time. Sidney said during one of the films, Blackboard Jungle, he made $750 a week. And Back in 1955, folks, that was pretty fucking good. He looked at that paycheck and went, holy shit. Wow, but he couldn't rely on it. He couldn't go, gonna get that every week. No, Blackboard Jungle, I'm sure filmed for a few months and then that's it. You better use that money wisely instead of blowing it all and buying a car. He opened up restaurants in New York City because he couldn't rely on acting. I mean, here's a man doing well in Hollywood. Very good roles. But he didn't know for a fact that the movies would still be there for him in a few years. And being a black man, here we go, bringing it up again. But that's reality in this episode. Sydney knew it. We know it. And being a black man made it just much harder. Did that make sense? It made it that much harder. Yeah, that made sense. Thank you for hanging with me. In the actor's room. As my grammar continues to. I don't know. Go through whatever it goes through. It's a progress. (laughs) My grammar skills. Are they getting better? I don't know. I think they're pretty neutral right now. (laughs) But we will continue. Talking about the stage career. And the film career of this man. That I admire very much. And not only his uh, stage and film work. But The man, the legend, Sidney Poitier. Sidney would return to the stage and perform and star in a project called A Raisin in the Sun. Rave reviews. And his performance was heralded as one of the best that season. He would then, of course, bring it to the movie screen a short time later and perfected the role. This was something similar to what Marlon Brando did in A Streetcar Named Desire. First on Broadway and because of the success on Broadway, turning it into a film and then raising it up again on film and having it be more of a success because you're not limited to your audience. A New York Broadway stage can't compare To that of film. Where anybody can see it. And now people are getting a very good look. At Sidney. And how brilliant he was. He actually became obsessed. With fellow co-star Diane Carroll. At this time. During the performances. He became so obsessed. He decided to leave his first wife. Juanita. Big. Big change. Changes. In Sidney's life here. Leaving his first wife. For me, when I do research on these people, these stars, these legends, uh, actors, whatever, and they had this other life before they started having success. He marries Juanita in the past when he's struggling, uh, uh, you know, doesn't really know who he is yet as an actor. He's having success. He's on the road a lot. He's away from home and he's building this other life now. It's different from when he started out with Juanita and a transition happens when you become an elevated figure and not only the world, but in your own world, your own life, everything that's outside doesn't matter. Right now, it's more about how it's changing you. And from my perspective, from the outside looking in, in this situation, and of course, this uh, situation with Sydney leaving his first wife and becoming obsessed with a co-star, someone you're seeing every day for uh, a period of time. Okay, <laughs> sparks fly, uh, and you fall in love with this new person. And kind of leaving your old life and flame behind. These are sad times, folks. For me, I think it is. It's a transition and a transformation. This older life that Sidney had in the beginning uh, was kind of like a cocoon. Where he's sheltered in a way with his family protected. Uh... But inside this cocoon, he's growing, changing, uh, learning more about acting, learning more about himself, his craft, uh, the way the business works, how shitty some things are, how great some things are, the success, the money. Uh, And then you have all the other things alongside the success, like the way other co-stars treat you and the way film producers and people on set and the whole political scene. Uh, bothers him. Bothers you. And then you have to deal with that. They would have to have Sidney. Uh, sign contracts. Uh, to. This is hard to put into words. But he. Had to sort of. <laughs> jump on board. With. People that were racist. Folks. And Sydney said. I would not sell my soul. And sign a contract. To work on a film. To separate himself from other black activists, people that meant a lot to Sidney, African American activists in the business making noise. Sidney would have to sign a contract before he starred in a movie in order to separate himself from these activists. They didn't want, the producers didn't want Sidney to make a stink on set or to hurt the film in any way. And Sydney said, I can't do that, of course. Sidney was way too principled to sign some contract to distance himself from people he admired. I mean, what kind of man would he be? And I think I referenced this back in the first episode. Stanley cared a lot about his principles. Something that his father taught him and his mother. And I believe his brothers and sisters as well. They were principled people. A principled family. And uh, Sydney would never ever. Ever. Give that right up. And because Sidney. Was changing. In a lot of ways. In his little cocoon. Or big cocoon. He was now. Entering this other stage. In his life. He could deny it. Or he could have denied it. Since he's passed. But that's what was going on. Big changes here. And leaves his first wife. For Diane Carroll. His co-star. In A Raisin in the Sun. And because all of this is going on. He gets in touch with a very good friend of his. Someone he came up in the business with. Harry Belafonte. And the two of them. uh, Would get together. And just talk about life. Talk about the business. Their love lives. Ethics. What they were doing in the world. And then really getting into the meat. Of who they really are going to be. In the future. And are they doing a good job? Are they uh, becoming good people? By being in this business. Sidney loved acting and proclaimed that he would be more than happy to be working as a dishwasher, a waiter, a uh, working in construction at night in order to act during the day with principle, never selling his soul. But to be a star, folks, sorry, there's a little soul selling. Going on there. There almost has to be. In order to take that leap. An artist. Who wants to reach the top. As far as. Popularity goes. And the big paychecks. You got to sell a little bit of yourself. To get there. That's my opinion. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Someone could be like Jeff. No that's not true. Sydney, He didn't sell his soul ever. To become a big star. That's your opinion. And you could be right. But my opinion. All of these big stars. Have sold their soul. In some way. Now. I think some sell their soul. More than others. Hopefully Sydney didn't sell too much. Of his soul. <laughs> Hopefully just, just a little piece. You know, just like a little corner, a crumb to those, those big producers or those uh, financiers behind the scenes. The, the, dark, the, the, the people behind the dark curtain. And there is a dark curtain in Hollywood. There's a dark curtain in any big business. You know it and I know it. <laughs> All the shady things that go on behind closed doors that we don't want to talk about. But we know they're going on, you know, the the very unethical things going on that uh, we know are going on, but hopefully we'll never, ever experience personally. (laughs) You know, we, those of us who toe the line and uh, uphold the law and don't want to get in trouble like me, (laughs) okay, I'm afraid to break the law, never do it. I will stay a simpleton for my entire life. And guess what? I'm pretty fucking okay with that. Uh, Sydney was too, and he was very successful. And all I'm saying, all I'm saying, is that as big as Sydney was, I'm, I'm just, I'm just guessing. He had to do certain things that he didn't want to do, and, and I'm hoping and praying that they weren't big things. They were just little. Like I said. Crummy things, little little crummy things, you know? Nothing too big, but just little things here and there you probably shouldn't have done to climb all the way to the top because Sydney did get all the way to the top eventually, folks. He got up to the mountain top. Uh, I just want to apologize. I really do hope that the audience out there following me, I get this is my show, folks. And people that may like my show uh, like this aspect of it. I like talking about life. What it was that these brilliant people had to do uh, to get where they were. Uh, what, what's their makeup? What are they all about? What's the juicy stuff? Uh, Sidney Poitier, a very principled, ethical man, uh, cheated on his wife. Okay. Um, now, I love this guy, but cheating on your wife is cheating on your wife. Is that ethical? No. So, you see what I'm talking about? Sydney was human too, and he was entering this new stage. That's what I want to say. Uh, so, hopefully, you continue listening. I will get into his uh, acting ability. And of course, A Raisin in the Sun did very well at the box office. It was a hit. I liked it. I'm not going to say I loved it. And other people I've talked to. Who appreciate great film. Don't consider A Raisin in the Sun. His best work. Where others do. I disagree. There are other performances that Sidney gave. That I would place way higher. Than this one. I'm not saying this one's bad. It's not it's really good. I'm just saying. It's not his best. Here are some tidbits. About this film that most consider to be the greatest of his career. There was a tense and just riveting relationship between Sidney and co-star Claudia McNeil. Uh, they didn't like each other. There was a lot of uh, heads butting against uh, one star in the other. Sydney, very strong actor. Strong character in this production. Uh, felt that the play revolved around him. Uh, His co-star here, Claudia, uh, she uh, didn't agree. She felt her character was the driving force behind the whole plot line. Cindy and her fought and fought often. But here's the interesting part about this that I love. From Sydney's perspective, he didn't mind it. He thought it was a good thing. Not everybody has to get along on set. Uh, For the most part, I think actors do get along on set. Sometimes they don't. And that necessarily doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Sidney would use the conflict, the arguments, the friction, and use it to his advantage. Make his performance stronger. You get more out of you, yourself, when you have fire inside. No matter where that fire comes from. It's still energy, you use it, and Sydney would use it in the movie. Claudia, on the other hand, didn't feel that way. The tension between the two of them bothered her. And she she felt that it would bring down her performance. It's fascinating, right? You have two different artists, and you're affected differently. Not everybody works the same way. You think, by God, all these people working together, this cast, it's like a family. And it kind of is. Not all families get along, am I right? They fight. They have to separate themselves. Almost go to your own corner. (laughs) Calm down, relax, throw some water on your face. So you get two sides of the coin and how actors work. In not only the theater, but on film. And one takes it and elevates their performance, and another one, it dampens it. But both of those performances were very good. So hopefully, you know, they did. You know, they did get along later on when film wrapped. Who knows? I uh, I just think Sydney, uh, he probably. Uh, I was okay with the fact that Claudia didn't like him. Figured, hey, it's a casualty in the production. Not everybody has to love me. I think that he just respected the work. What's wrong with that? Respect the work. Get through it. You don't have to send birthday cards and Christmas presents to all your co-stars. You do the job. You Do it right. To the best of your ability. And then you move on with your life. OK, another note that I want to point out is the Broadway production garnered Sydney a nomination for a Tony Award in New York City. And I think that's all. OK. <laughs> Raise in the Sun, Done. Next up, this is the one. My favorite of Sydney? No doubt about it. You know that I really liked "Edge of the City. With John Cassavetti's <laughs> And I do. But Lilies of the Field. Want to check the year. Make sure. 1963. Lilies of the Field. Is just a heartwarming. Wonderful film. My wife and I watched it together. A couple of months ago. And that's when she fell in love. With Sydney, And so did I. He blends into the screen. He's so comfortable. He's so engaging. And I know that I have made reference to some of those characteristics and other actors on my show. But there's something otherworldly in Sydney that makes his performances heartwarming. What is it about Sydney? that makes me want to watch more of him it's is it just because he seems so real and you want that to come through the realness and the truthfulness and you could tell that he really worked on his speech um you could tell sometimes in his performances he really did work on that. And I think it also adds a layer... To... How hard... He tried... And then... How simple he makes it. These are two... Uh, characteristics within Sydney, Because... He has this talent. This ability. That... Somebody... That would want to be an actor... Could never attain because it's just not in them. Uh, Sidney had a talent inside where he could step on a stage and in front of a camera and just perform, and the camera loves him, (laughs) and the audience loved him, and they almost don't know why. I'm sort of speechless. You just. Like the guy. Okay. There you go. Simple. Sidney was simple in that way. And that's what makes the great ones. They're so simple. That's what you gotta be. And I love what Robert De Niro said. In an interview a while back. And I think he's still. Uh, from time to time during interviews. He likes to really point out. That the great actors. Or the actors I take that back. The actors that really get it. And I'm talking about the craft and being successful, doing it right. Keep it simple. He says, "You don't have to do anything. You just do it. You just let it happen. Once you start pushing and trying too hard, that's when you fail. You have to trust yourself." And trusted people around you. Sidney Poitier. In lilies of the field. Trusted everyone around him. And became. A part. Of that world. He plays. A man. Sort of lost in life. I think he was. The character might say no. But he was traveling. Trying to find work. And he comes upon. A nunnery. I want to say a convent. Or just a group of nuns. Doing God's work. In the beginning of the film. The head nun. Prays to God. Please send us someone. We need help. To build our future. To help you God. Because the land they were on. Was falling apart. And they needed somebody. To help them. To build. Create. And lo and behold, just moments later, this wonderful, wonderful man comes rolling on in his car. Helps the nuns. But he thinks it's, it's a job. It's not a job. The nuns believe that God smiled upon them and, and gave them what they needed. Sydney. Sydney thought, I'll do a few things around here. They're going to pay me. And I'll go. I'll move on. They never pay him. So he sticks around a little longer. Does a few more things for them. Getting frustrated. What am I doing here? <laughs> why, why am I still here? They haven't paid me. I should just leave. But he's done so much work. He feels committed to them. He grows on them. And they grow on him. And before you know it, there's this beautiful dynamic between the nuns and Sydney, And then he evolves and feels and knows. Strike that. He knows he's part of something special. Part of something that makes sense to him now. And no price tag, no wage will ever amount to the importance of what he's doing. Doing what he's doing is all it needs to be. And I, I thought it very interesting that he, he sings a lot in the film. Okay, And it's not his real voice. I, don't, I never got this whole thing. I don't care if Sidney couldn't sing a lick. But it's him. Why is it? These directors or whoever makes these freaking decisions want to dub that voice. That wonderful man's voice. I don't care if he sounded like a duck singing. That'd be him. And it, it would have been beautiful. Shoulda let him sing. Here we go, a few notes about this film. Sydney. Didn't take his regular paycheck for this film. He took a huge pay cut. uh, But was so passionate about the project. And uh, other actors do the same thing. They're really passionate about it. They take a huge pay cut. And that's what Sidney did here. Uh, It was shot on location. In Arizona. For only 14 days. 14 days. Two weeks. For that. Wonderful film. Two weeks two weeks. Uh, Stanley Kubrick takes two years to make a wonderful film. This one two weeks for a wonderful film. Now you can't compare the specifics as far as you know cinematography and whatnot. but hey (laughs) just a little comparison there. Uh, Sometimes it only takes 14 days to do a marvelous piece of work. And of course Sir Sidney Poitier wins the Academy Award For his performance in Lilies of the Field. The first black actor to win this award. Correct? I believe that's correct. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But Sidney felt pretty damn good about it. A hell of an accomplishment. But he didn't see it that way. As far as being the first black man to win the award. No. He was just a man winning an award. God. Isn't that beautiful? I love that so much. Putting labels. When it doesn't need to be done. Uh, A remarkable achievement. And he knew it. Being a black man. Working as well as he was. Earning the money. And winning that award. Was important. For a black man. But. He just wanted it to be known that he was just a man winning an award. He was light years ahead of where uh, everybody else was. Sydney. He was way over there. Way, way over there. He's a re- remarkable, remarkable man. No doubt. 1967, in the heat of the night. My second favorite performance by Sydney. Sydney went toe to toe with Rod Steiger, and what a duo those two were! Battling back and forth in the beginning, uh, kind of getting along in the middle, <laughs> and uh, eventually becoming very, very uh, respectful of each other at the end. Uh, hey. If you've never seen the movie. I'm just going to give you a brief summary. Cindy plays a cop. A black cop. And he goes to visit his mom in the south. Uh, There's something that happens. Of course a murder. In the town. And he's asked to help. And uh, being a black man. Of uh, respect in the south. No matter what your title is. Is hard. No matter what it is. And the film really does depict that. In a great way. And you can see in the film. Just how Sydney would have dealt with the situation in his life. It transferred over to the film in his character. You could see it. He let things slide every now and then. But the one time he doesn't is when he slaps one of the characters in the film. Not in real life. Just in the film. Now, there's a disagreement on something about this. I've heard it was in the script for Sydney to slap the character. Sydney disagrees. He said it was never in the script. It was just the reaction he had being in the character. So here we go. Sydney was engulfed in his character so deeply. He did something he would never, ever do in real life. Sidney Poitier himself would never have hit a white man like that. Never. But his character would. See the dynamic there as far as uh, taking on a character and uh, creating it in your mind with imagination. And you're, you're now another uh, – you have like an alter ego. You're now, you've now become uh, whatever your name is. I'm Jeff. I'd say Jeff Plus. I'm not just Jeff anymore. I'm like this other Jeff. There's me and my characteristics and what I'm made of. But I'm adding layers so much so that I have now elevated into something else. I'm Jeff plus all of this other stuff. And this other Jeff in this situation would do something I'd never do in real life. Like punch some guy in the face if they're giving me shit in the grocery store. I don't think I'd ever do that in real life. I just don't see it happening. But my other alter ego or this other person I created would. That's what Sydney did in the heat of the night. That's what he says. (laughs) Now, others have said, like the screenwriter, that the slap was in the script. So which one is it? Who's, uh... (laughs) I almost don't know what to believe. I want to believe Sydney on this one. I want to believe that reaction came from him, not the script, because that's a, more of an interesting story. and it's the interesting stories that make my podcast better. Not the boring stuff. We like the interesting stuff. And we'll get to Will Smith at the end of the episode. Don't Don't, don't worry. I'm gonna talk about it. I'm not for a while because we gotta get through the rest of Sydney. But uh, you may want to hear what I have to say about Mr. Smith. Moving on with Sydney. Sydney's character, In the Heat of the Night, Mr. Tibbs, is ranked number 19 in the heroes category of the AFI's 100 Heroes and Villains list. Number 14, not too shabby. And the last note about In the Heat of the Night before I move on. Is Rod Steiger and his gum chewing in the film. I felt it to be annoying and completely unnecessary. And as I'm watching the film and watching Rod chew that gum. The way he chewed that gum in the film. (laughs) Ridiculous. Ridiculous. I felt why doesn't the director step in, step up, do something. And tell Rod to spit that fucking gum out of his mouth. Because that's what I would have done. But learned in my research that it was the director's decision to have Rod chew that gum. Why? 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 Who? I don't have who directed this film, goddammit. But really? It was annoying. I'm so annoyed that I hurt my throat yelling just then. And I forgot to bring my water in here. I usually have tea or water. I could really use that right now. But yeah. Were you, uh, so I'm going to ask you, the audience. Were you bothered by Rod Steiger and his really annoying gum chewing in his acting? I thought it just... <laughs> I didn't think it worked. I don't know why the director wanted him to chew gum. Why? I can question this for the next five days, but we can't do that. We got to continue talking about the career of Sir Sidney Poitier, right? That's right. The next one up, 1967. Boy, did he have a string of just hits, didn't he? Damn, he was on a roll. And with this one, Jesus H. Christ. (laughs) Oh, man. Guess who's coming to dinner? I've watched it a handful of times. And it's uncomfortable but brilliant. I mean, you could make this film today, folks. And I think it would mean more today. I do. Uh, And I understand that uh, mixed marriages are more accepted today. They definitely are. (laughs) But I even think that it would mean more today to have a really heartwarming film. Uh, to really bring to the table the importance of mixed relationships, uh, mixed marriages. And you don't want to, like, put a term on it. But, I mean, that's what this film is about. It's it's bringing together a black man and a white woman and how meeting her family would be. And how uncomfortable and the friction that it would uh, give off in this circumstance? That's what the movie is up and down, all around, and there you go. I, I know that it was done with Ashton Kushner or something like that. Is that right? What? <laughs> I heard that, and we, oh yeah, I'm going to check that out. What? Though? Ashton Kushner is a certain kind of actor. What the hell? Are you doing putting them in that kind of movie? I want to take this movie seriously. And you got Ashton Kushner reprising Sidney Poitier's movie? Get the guy out of here. Because they switched it. It was a white guy and a black girl. Whatever. You know what? I'm, doing? I'm going to cut that out probably. I probably am. I'm going to shut this off. I guess Catherine Hepburn... I never saw the completed film. Okay. Because uh, Spencer Tracy passed. Right after the film wrapped. Uh, Spencer was very sick. And Catherine and Spencer. Were so close. And it's hard for her. It was hard for her. To think about this film. Without completely breaking down. Wow. Here's an amazing note. (laughs) When this movie was filmed. Interracial marriages. Were illegal in 14 states. At this time. That's how far we've come. You know. And. It just amazes me. That even to this day. Um, we're still battling. This. Uh, racial tension. Um, it, it's, a, it's just a part of. Of of life. Yes. And how we gauge relationships. And you know we're always just so afraid to let people in. You know what is that? Where's the fear exactly? Um, I mean we're all human beings for Christ's sake. Right? And some of us find it hard. To accept other races. They just do. And movies like. Guess who's coming to dinner. Are so important. Bringing things to light. And, and, and shedding. The fear. Or, or wanting to shed that fear. Uh, a bright light. Must be shown. Upon this subject. Subjects like this. And. How. How. We need to deal with it better, obviously. And very brave for everyone involved to do this film at this time. I mean, 1967, hello there. I mean, right in the middle of all the tension back then, uh, middle of the Civil War, Civil War, <laughs> Vietnam War. A lot going on at that time. Civil War. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. uh, Jeff. It's Civil War, right. And before I end this episode of the Actors Room, touching on Sydney, got to mention the film *Little Nikita* with River Phoenix. Uh, both River and Sydney would uh, star together in another film called *Sneakers*. They got along very well. Sydney loved River, and River the same with Sydney. Sydney Poitier, of course, received the greatest honor an actor can receive. Uh, Best actor, got his Oscar. He was proud of it, felt that being an actor was enough. Didn't want to put any labels on it. He just wanted to be an actor, an artist, and that's who he was. A great man, a wonderful talent, and someone to admire. He wasn't perfect, none of us are, but he did the best he could with the circumstances he was given. He felt himself to be extremely lucky to make it as an actor. Extremely lucky to make it as a man, a good man, a wonderful father. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Actors Room, episode 126. My name's Jeff Trowski. Like I said, a big break between part one and two. (laughs) Oh, only a few months. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I did it and hopefully I'm back and we'll produce more shows in the future closer together. Okay, my explanation of why I took this long break is I got COVID in February, early February. And boy, I tell you, it kicked my ass. COVID came to the Tarowski house and uh, all my whole family in the house we all got it at the same time. I guess that's the way to do it, right? We were all sick. <laughs> Couple of weeks, uh, I, I, was, uh, I struggled to breathe. I have not smoked a cigarette since early February. I know. That's how scared I was of not being able to breathe. So we'll see how long that lasts. It, it's been about eight weeks since I've had a cigarette. And uh, yeah. So, hopefully, it'll keep going. I've tried quitting in the past, and I always fail. <laughs> so, we'll see what happens. We'll see. I feel, ma, b- well, I feel much better. I do. Uh, I got my booster shot and everything. So, you know, hopefully, all you out there, if you got it, if you had it, uh, you know, bear down. Some of us are hit hard by it, and others not. So, it all depends. And how strong your immune system is. And all that stuff. So hopefully everybody's doing well. In that area. So let's get. (laughs) To this whole Will Smith. Bullshit. Gotta talk about it in the actors room. I don't watch the Oscars anymore. Because straight up. I don't like the scene. Kinda sick of Hollywood. And all the bullshit. People walking around. In just ridiculous dresses. All the jewelry and all that crap. I mean, some of this stuff you can feed small countries with. It's just not my style. And all the political shit. And, and uh, I just, I don't watch the Oscars. I haven't watched them in about five years. So that night, that Sunday night, I'm up late watching some TV. And I check my Twitter account. And notice something about Will Smith. I had to check it out. He slapped Chris Rock. Wow, why? You know, did more research on it. And at first, folks, at first, I'm like, good for you, Will. I heard he was making fun of, well, Chris Rock was making fun of Will Smith's wife. Who happened to have some kind of illness. That's what I first thought. I'm like, Chris Rock, what the hell are you doing? You know, Will Smith's sticking up for his wife. Good for you, bro. And then I found out more information. You know, the next day and the day after, Chris Rock didn't know that Jada Pinkett Smith is some sort of... It's not a disease. It's an ailment. You know, it's a condition. Her hair's falling out. Um, it's not like she's dying from it. It's just a condition. And she has her hair short. Chris Rock didn't know this. Chris Rock is a comedian. And though I don't agree with the way the Oscar hosts... Rip on people like that. Uh, The Oscars. I don't think is a place for that. Other award shows. Might be fine to do that. But the Oscars is like another uh, beast. Another animal to me. I always felt the Oscars. Was supposed to have class. That's the way I grew up watching the Oscars. And that's the way I felt it should be. And I've seen class leave the Oscars. Years ago. And that's why I don't watch it anymore. And what happened proved to me. That I've made the right call. Getting away from all that shit. (laughs) Shame on you Will. Obviously. uh, His relationship with his wife. Has gotten to him. It's like some sort of like. Mind control thing. That she's got on him. Because he laughed at that joke. He laughed at first. Saw. That Jada was pissed. And then like a mind control thing. You know. Like something switched in him. Like bloop. And he completely changed. Is he off his nut? (laughs) And like. Is it because Chris Rock is such a nice guy. That Will felt he can get up there and do what he did? I hear that he's banned from the Oscars for 10 years. Now he has an excuse not to go anymore. He got his Oscar. And that's another thing. I guess he slaps Chris. And then moments later. Wins the Oscar. Wow dude. You couldn't hold up. You did it. All that work you did in the past. Working your ass off. To get where you were. And you finally get the Oscar. Deservedly so. You deserved it. And it's tainted. By your actions. What were you thinking. Mr. Smith. What the hell happened. It wasn't staged. That was real. He slapped him. Like that. What the hell. Is going on. In Hollywood. I've been saying it on my show. For years. Something. Fucked up is going on in that town. Almost beyond what I thought. It's worse than I thought, I think. It's worse than I thought, I think. Wow, that was bad grammar. We're going to work on that in the actor's room. (laughs) I hope Mr. Smith is okay. He needs to leave his wife. I... well, that would be my advice. Break free, fly away. Uh get some help. <laughs> I think you need it. And Chris, I hope you're okay, bro. I mean, I've met Chris. He's he's a hell of a nice guy. He didn't deserve to be slapped like that. Can you imagine how embarrassing that was for him? Embarrassing. Whew to get that out there. Folks, thanks for listening. This is the actor's room. I know there's only 10 of you listening. All 10 of you, thank you for listening. God bless you. Put in that movie tonight. Put in that show. Enjoy the fuck out of it. Wow, I'm swearing too much. Enjoy the heck out of it. I'm going to try to get better with my language. I do. I will. I will. God bless you. Have a good one.